Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes. This is our second of two shows talking about schematic changes for North Carolina. If you didn't listen to our Phil Longo offense podcast a couple weeks ago, you need to check it out. I think it's probably the highest listened to IC podcast of the summer, for now at least, because this one's going to be higher than that one. Talked a lot about what was going to change with Carolina's offense, what the air raid was, and all that. Today we're going to talk about Jay Bateman's defense on the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. I'm going to start with you first, Jason. A lot of talk about 4-3 versus 3-4 and all that. I mean, tell me why those numbers even matter these days in college football. Why it even matters when you talk about Jay Bateman's style of defense. Uh, Short answer is it doesn't. (laughs) Partly because nobody's in 3-4 or 4-3 personnel in terms of seven front seven guys, or very few teams are in you know, four, three, traditional four, three, three, four personnel front seven. Uh, most of the time anyway, everybody either has a couple hybrids up front in some way or an extra defensive back going basically base nickel because so many teams are basing out of spread formations. When you've got extra receivers on the field, if you're going to stick three, three defensive linemen out there and four traditional linebackers out there, you're going to be, you're going to have some trouble. Same thing with four D-line, D-linemen and three traditional linebackers. So you, had, you better either have a hybrid or two, or you'd better have some, some defensive backs out there, an extra defensive back out there for, for some nickel stuff to, to change your matchups. So in that sense, it really doesn't matter because ultimately what matters is, is what personnel you're going to put on the field and who's going to cover what gaps. What does matter, what does affect the style of defense you're playing is okay first of all you you have to decide whether you're whether how you're going to cover gaps there's always going to be six gaps up front the two gaps on either side of the center the two gaps between the guard and the tackle and then the two gaps outside the tackle and then if they add tight ends then you get an additional gap out there but you have to cover those gaps there has to be somebody responsible to handle each of those gaps up front in the run game. So you can do that a number of different ways. And this is what really matters is you can either be a one gap team or a two gap team. For a long time, most teams were one gap teams, basically from the nineties, mid nineties or so on. A lot of teams were going one gap only just getting straight up the field. That's what the, you know, Tampa Bay bucks and the Tampa two. And that's what we saw a lot of from Carolina the last few years is a lot of just straight one gap, get aggressive, get up the field. Then you have, and, and what that is, is you have one player, each player is responsible for one gap. So one guy is going to be in the A gap to the right of the center. Another guy is going to be in the A gap to the left of the center. Another guy is going to be responsible for the B gap and, and so on. You can also though, do some two gapping and this is becoming, this is coming back in vogue. Everything's always circular. Everything always comes back around. It's cyclical. And what two gapping is, is that you line up, let's say one player directly over the center, say, 
you get a nose tackle and you say, we're, we're going to stick this hog molly right there and we're going to tell him to kick the center's tail and we're going to put him square against the center and we're going to tell him to handle both A-gaps, one on either side of the center and anybody that comes up, either, either one of those A-gaps is that guy's responsibility. Well, that gives you, that frees up another player in terms of gap responsibility, in terms of pass coverage and so on, but it means you better have a dominant guy who can two-gap there. And so th- those two things, whether you're going to two gap or one gap, that matters because that affects how, how you're going to deploy your guys up front. It affects who you're going to recruit. It affects a lot of those things and, and, and what kind of flexibility your defense has. Most modern, like the cutting edge, the bleeding edge, and that's where Jay Bateman is, bleeding edge defenses are using combinations of one gap, which has traditionally been associated with even fronts, with four four man line fronts, and two gap, which is traditionally more three man line fronts, they'll say go with two guys two gapping and everybody else one gapping. So let's say the right side of the defensive line is going to play like an odd front. They're going to have say the nose tackle and a defensive end that are going to two gap, and then on the other side everybody's one gapping. And that can cause some problems because a lot of team that, that can throw off your blocking assignments and you have to figure out whether who's going to be doing what in order to be able to block it well. And so that's, that's a lot of what Bateman's doing is he's bringing in principles from even front techniques. So from four man line type stuff and from odd front techniques, and he's mixing them up and then he's using some, some hybrid defenders. So he'll have, his linebackers aren't all just going to be big traditional linebackers. He's going to have some backers that are kind of hybrid defensive end linebacker types and some hybrid linebacker defensive back types. And he's going to kind of float those guys around and he's going to force you to figure out who's responsible for what gap and try to create just a little bit more doubt, a little bit more hesitation, a little bit more uncertainty on who you're going to block to gain just a little bit of time to close down that run space. That's what he does. And and so in that sense, it doesn't really matter base three, four, base four, three, whatever. What matters is who can you put on the field and then what assignments are you going to give them? And he's going to mix in a lot of that stuff and he's going to do it based on what personnel he sees that, you know, what they're able to do. And that's one of the things he talked about at the clinic is one of the, is he talked about, look, good coaching is about figuring out what your guys can do and what they can't do. And you'd better not ask them to do what they can't do. And, and so he, he talked about how you have to figure out that and then work toward it with what you do schematically. Cause it don't matter if it works on the board, if your guy can't do it. And that, by the way, was something I really liked and enjoyed hearing him talk about at the clinic because it, it, I mean, the guy gets it in that sense. A lot of guys get scheme when they got the chalk on their hand, but they don't, they're asking guys to do what they can't really do. And that, that's disastrous. Yeah, that's a great point there. It brings up the Jimmy's and Joe's argument. But Greg, I want to come with come to you on a, on a question that Jason's response sort of caught my ear a little bit and not really in a great way. We heard a lot about hybrids there. And for Carolina football fans that follow it, uh, maybe closely, but not as closely as some of the diehards, uh, the last time hybrids were really discussed was with Vic Koning, was defensive coordinator at North Carolina. And that 
didn't really work out as good as it maybe should have or could have. Your thoughts on a what's going to be different and, and what makes Bateman's quote unquote hybrid uh, player philosophy different maybe than Koenig or anybody else in the past at Carolina. And also uh, to Jason's point, they're talking about, you've got to have the players to be able to accomplish certain things. And the biggest part of coaching is uh, knowing what your players can and can't do. Speak to that a little bit more, because I think that's going to be huge for North Carolina's defense. We, we've talked about that the defense could be somewhat of a struggle, but Bateman seems pretty equipped to, at least on the board, to put together a package that'll work for what Carolina has. Yeah, well, let's start with the Jimmy and Joes first, because I think that's the most important element of this. Uh, and it it's the reason why that offenses are the way they are now, and it's the reason that these defenses are the way they are in terms of trying to counter that. You know, as as Bateman laid out for us, you know, a few months ago, if you go back to the Revolutionary War, you'd have say ten guys on one side of the battlefield, and you'd have you know ten guys on the other side of the battlefield, and they would line up at one another and they'd pull their guns. And they would shoot, right? <laughs> and whoever was the best shot would win. And so if you take 10 guys that Nick Saban recruits and you take 10 guys that Larry Fedora recruits and you put them standing across from one another and say, go, who's going to win most of the time? It's and Saban's be... guys have better muskets too. Don't forget. <laughs> they have machine guns. They don't have yeah. muskets. Um, and so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, one of the things that, that offenses did, and you know, we talked a lot about this during Fedora's years, is you know, they're really good defenses. And so the best way to counter a all-world defensive end, right, you don't mess with him. You run away from him. Like, if he's going to collapse on the running back, well, the quarterback keeps it. You take that player out of play uh, with some of these design plays that you have, RPOs, and you have the – you know, the screen passes, which are kind of, you know, as Bateman calls them, get out of jail free cards. And so that's what offenses did. And so what what Butch Davis did, let's just go there for a second. He always talked about how you know, he let his defensive line be freelance. And in 2009, North Carolina, I think, was number six in the country in yards per game allowed. They were number eight nationally in yards per play allowed. That was a very good defense. And when you've got guys like Tydrick Powell, Quentin Copels, Robert Quinn, Marvin Austin, uh, Alaric Mullins, you know, Cam Thomas was on that team, uh, Dante Page-Moss, all these guys were on the defensive line. And I think uh, E.J. Wilson was on that team. Michael McAdoo. I mean, these are all really good players. And so what Butch could do is say, you know what, you four, you wreak havoc. And we're going to sit back in a cover two, and it's going to be easy. You know, if you go back to our podcast talking about um, uh, Phil Longo and what he wants to do, you know, I asked Jason, you know, how do you how do you counter like a really good defensive line? And what was his answer? Pretty much can't you do don't. anything. Like, I mean, you can't pray, um, pray, right? And that that that's how it's always been. But what Vic tried to do. And I think you his issues were more, I think, communication issues and 
um, just kind of team chemistry, leadership. I think that was the the underlying issue. He did have some bad schematic moments. I understand that. But I think that was the bigger reason why everything kind of ran off the rails in 2014. But what he was trying to do is trying to counter some of these offensive uh, movements, these, these new spread designs. So by using a hybrid, using these tweener types that can put their hand in the dirt but can also drop in the coverage or of safety that can actually defend the run but it's pretty good in coverage. And so the idea was there. And so what Bateman has done, and I find it fascinating, that you know, Bateman's not a guy that that kind of grew up under these these great defensive minds. You know, he's not like he was a GA for Monty Kiffin or anybody like that. He was a defensive coordinator from a very early age. And so what he's done is he said, you know, you know Dave Aranda at LSU, who you know, his name was being tossed around for the UNC job last November. Uh, he's a guy that that Bateman has really looked to. Um, and so he's kind of picked from some of the best in the country about kind of some design elements. But essentially what he wants to do is, you know, people say that he blitzes a lot. He'll, he'll challenge you on that a little bit and saying that, you know, a lot of times we're just sending four guys. But the key is we're not lining up and saying, you know what, we've got four defensive linemen. They're all going to rush. If you can stop them, you're going to have a lot of success against us. He's done with that thinking. And so what he's doing is he's saying, okay, well, we're going to have two linebackers and maybe they both rush the passer. Maybe they don't. You know, and Buck Sanders in his column, uh, I guess on Tuesday, you know, talked about a clinic that, that Bateman was at. And essentially was you, sometimes he may line up both outside linebackers as if they're going to rush. And then whichever outside linebacker, the running back tips his hand that he's going to block. Guess what that guy's going to do? He's going to draw back in coverage. And so now the running back is trying to block somebody back in coverage. So that's not going to work. But on the other side, you now have an outside linebacker who doesn't have anybody trying to chip him, and he can get after the quarterback. And so it's more of you're adding that element of surprise and disguise and saying that we're going to come from a lot of different positions. Uh, but we're going to do it in a unique way. We're not going to stick to this try and true method you know, where if we have a ton of talent, we can be very vanilla, very boring. Uh, we're not going to do that. And so we're going to add aggression with this disguise. And that's one of the reasons that he's had a lot of success. Uh, you know, listening to you guys, it makes me uh, really look forward to Labor Day weekend in Charlotte. But it also um, makes me think that I need to go get some gear. And johnnytshirt.com is the best place for Carolina fans to go get their gear for that upcoming game in Charlotte against South Carolina. It is Carolina versus South Carolina. I was down in Atlanta this past weekend and came through South Carolina, and they couldn't understand why I said it that way. Johnnytshirt.com has the best gear for that game and all your Carolina needs. Mm. The the Mac is back t-shirt is one of their best sellers, Mm. and it's going to be. And, of course, they're locally owned and operated. And, Jason, when you start doing that, it makes me want to start preaching. So keep it up because Johnny T-Shirt's worth (laughs) – Johnny T-Shirt is worth preaching about for Carolina fans. Franklin Street, best place to go pregame, best place to go if you're in town on the weekends, anytime. Great customer service in-store. But not only that, JohnnyT-Shirt.com gives you the best service online, that same great customer service and the same great deals. and 
Inside Carolina premium subscribers get 10% off those orders, both online and in store. It's mm. all about all about Carolina. No nobody else, no other teams you have to sort through to find your Carolina gear. It's all there. Anything you could possibly want. Johnny T shirt on Franklin Street, Johnny T shirt.com online. Let's get back to this discussion because I have a feeling it's going to be a good long one tonight as we record it in the evening. You guys are listening to it on Wednesday morning. Jason, let me ask you a couple questions about the defensive line because it's something I'm not 100% sure everybody understands and it may not even be relevant. But I've always wanted to ask you this question. Explain to me the difference in the techniques for D tackles. So you've got one techniques, three techniques. Explain all that and how that fits in in Bateman's scheme, um, if it does, and if it's relevant. If it's not, still explain it because I want to hear you talk some more. Yeah. So uh, I do also want to do one last thing in terms of difference between uh, the hybrids previously and now, and and that's I think in terms of how the personnel is being treated on the roster. Indeed. Mac Brown and the way that he's moving guys around to find their their best positions. And and all of that, that's the sort of thing that I think wasn't done enough in terms of of some of the uh, the top guys on the last uh, on the last staff, where you look at what they tried to do in terms of the Ram position and all of that with uh, with Coning. I mean, they were trying to fit some square pegs into some round hole round holes with I think I remember Jabari Price and uh, uh, Malik Simmons. I mean, they're basically putting corners there to play a hybrid safety linebacker role, and it just wasn't it wasn't going to work. You're not going to see that stuff with this staff. That's going to matter. And I think a lot of that, in terms of you know, Coning was successful at Clemson as a defensive as a defensive coordinator. It just was not a good m- match, a good mix with him and Fedora to be able to do it in Chapel Hill. And I think there's going to be more support uh, from Mac in terms of getting the kinds of hybrid defenders they need on the, on the field, even if they have to move guys and maybe lose a little offense to get the right guy. You know, if you got to move a guy over from offense to, to get him over there, to get the right guy over there at defensive tackle or at, or at a hybrid position, they're going to do it. And I think that that's going to matter. But in terms of the, the question you asked, the techniques up front. Now, you know, I, I did an article on this some years ago for, for inside Carolina, probably 2013. We can, uh, go back. I can re, re, uh, revisit that and, and bring that back as well. That would probably be good for the refresher. But the uh, the basic way to think about this is that when you put the five offensive linemen, you line them up and you've got the center, the two guards, and the two tackles. Over each guy, you've got numbers that are assigned to techniques. And technique is a little bit of a of of the wrong way to to talk about this, but that's the verb, verbiage that coaches use. Really, it's about alignment and about responsibility. So what you have is starting from the center. If you've got a guy that's head up directly over the chest of the center, eye to eye with the center, that's a zero technique. His response, and usually that means you're going to have a two gapper, a guy that's right directly square over the, over the center, and he's going to be responsible for both a gaps. If you move that guy over and shade him to into the gap, on one side of the center or the other, that's a one technique because the way that this is numbered is that from the perspective of the offensive line, uh, you have that one is the gap on either side of the, uh, of the, of the center 
between the center and the guard in terms of alignment. So you're lined up as a one. If you move over to where you're head up over the, over the guard, that's a two. Then you move over to between the guard and the center, that's a three. So you're going to get a three technique. And oftentimes you'll have in a four-man defensive line, you'll have one defensive tackle lined up in the one technique on one side and another defensive tackle lined up in the three on the other side. And that is the strength of the defense. That's where you're, the, the strength side of the defense is on the three technique side. And then you're going to have a four and a five and a six, et cetera, based on where you're lined up. And you can also get like a four I. So a guy who's lined up almost head up with a, with the deep or with the offensive tackle, but just shading to the inside eye. And that's something you're going to see a lot with Jay Bateman is you're going to see some four eye technique from his defensive ends and defensive tackles at times where he'll have say a zero or a one from the nose and then he's going to have a four eye oftentimes on both sides of that nose or on one side and then have somebody else, you know, maybe in a three or a five on the other side. Those four eyes are a pain in the butt for, for offensive lines to, to block because they can, they have the, the flexibility to, to two gap on that tackle to come hard inside. And they're just far enough away from the, from the guard to make it difficult to reach They're inside enough to make it tough to, to, uh, to, zone to that side so there's a few things that, that can cause problems there now there's counters to to run against it on, on the offense as well but generally speaking offensive offensive line coaches don't like playing against four, a bunch of four eyes uh in that regard and you're going to see some of that with uh with jay bateman in terms of what he does up front uh and again he's going to use a variety of techniques and actually not only in terms of alignment so a zero technique but he also, and this is something I've got, and I know I've been at, t- saying I've got this coming, but the first Bateman video should be releasing, I believe, concurrently with when this podcast episode is releasing. And there's going to be about 20 of them this offseason, breaking down some of what he teaches. But he he has a variety of techniques that he teaches of actual techniques. This is how I want you to attack this as a player. Here's what your footwork needs to be, et cetera from these different alignments. So you might have a zero technique defensive tackle whose job is to play what Bateman calls a throat technique, which is a two gapping technique where you work from the front side gap. You're, you're working to that. You figure out which direction the, the center is stepping. You press hard on the, on the shoulder to the, to the side that he's pressing to, or that he stepped with to close that gap down. And then you try to work back into the backside gap so that you basically use the center's body to block off one gap. And then you use your own body to block off the other and create and and cause all sorts of loss of space, but you got to have a pretty good defensive tackle to do that. And that's something that in breaking down some of Bateman's film, I think that's going to be imperative for Carolina moving forward is that they're going to need to have some quality defensive tackles in order for Bateman to do anything close to what he wants to do. Yeah, and I, th- I think Aaron Crawford's the guy that uh, they they feel pretty good about. I'm yeah. not sure exactly what they what they have behind him, but in talking with, with Crawford and Spring Ball, uh, he talked about you know that that two gap responsibility playing the zero technique is something that he just absolutely loves because it allows him to be aggressive. He said that really that you know, he played majority of his snaps in recent years. Uh, at the two I, which I guess is called the what's that the G technique in that right Staples? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, you're uh, over the guard, so yeah, you're using the G technique. Yeah, 
But he said that the issue with that is that you're you're right there with the guard in the center. And he said so he almost was guaranteed to get a double team uh, yep. whenever he was having success. And so there's importance in that. But if he's going to be one of your better defensive linemen, you don't just want him absorbing double teams all the time. It does help you know, in, in certain aspects for sure. But you want that guy to be aggressive. And that's one thing you know, Nick Polino talked about is that having to go head-to-head against Crawford while he was playing center, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a challenge uh, because you know, sometimes he wasn't exactly sure which way uh, Crawford would go. You know, maybe him and uh, left guard would decide to double-team him and, and Crawford would pick up on it and he'd shoot the, the other gap. And so that, that's the flexibility that, that Crawford's allowed. And one of the other things, too, is, is Jason talked about kind of the 4i. That really is. I know Bateman uh, says he doesn't really have like a set base, and he talks about you know, using the <laughs> two down, three down, four down, five down, uh, and that you're going to see a lot of those different looks. And I get that. But in talking with the players and kind of you know, just talking to some of the coaches, some of that kind of thing, it seems pretty clear that that, that zero technique with two 4i defensive ends is is probably going to be the most used base that allows the linebackers to get in there and, and hit the gaps pretty hard and allows you a lot of more flexibility uh, for reasons that, that Jason alluded to. But I think that's probably going to be the kind of the key core you know, uh, base setup. And then from there, you'll see a lot of different things. I, I found it fascinating that, that Tamon Fox, even when he's on the uh, line, when he's playing one of those four out positions, he still doesn't put his hand on a lot. He likes to just stand up, and Bateman gives him that flexibility, saying, "If if you're more comfortable in a you know two point stance, go for it." And Tamon said that you know spring ball he was probably ninety five to five in terms of being a, a two point versus a three point. And Bateman Bateman's more about you know, accomplishing your goal and, and being able to to utilize these players to the best of their ability. You know, as opposed to saying, oh, well, this is how we've always done it. And so if you're going to play this position, you've got to do it just like this. And so there, there is creativity there. And he's, he's really doing his best to maximize the skill set that he has. And so that's, that's one thing. I, you know, I think having Crawford there, the, the nose is going to be beneficial. Uh, but to Jason's point, that they do need to you know, ensure that you've got at least a backup because Crawford's gone next year. But even though, e- even so, you need him to get some some rest and so somebody's gonna have to emerge as a as a legitimate option there at the backup nose guard solid work there greg good stuff let me take a short break we'll come back get more into it get more into jay bateman's defense at north carolina selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is here to help you grow whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person pos system wherever and whatever you're selling shopify has got you covered shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 15 percent better on average compared to other 
other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jason, I know you wanted to share more thoughts on what Greg had to say. Yeah, no doubt. And and I'll add a couple things here because that breakdown was tremendous, especially talking about what what those players have have said about this. And I completely agree that based on what I've seen of Bateman's film in the past, that we're going to see a lot of zero and two four eyes, just a ton of it. Now, a couple things. One of the big differences in terms of what Bateman does defensively that's different from what what say we've seen in the past is so much of the eye candy that, that Bateman you does presents to the offense where he, he uses all sorts of disguise and all sorts of things. So much of what he's actually trying to do is eliminate the offense's ability to double team anybody. That's really what he's, what he's aiming for. And there are a number of times where I've been breaking down the coach's film of the uh, army uh, Buffalo game from last year, which was the first all 22 coaches film that has both the uh, sideline view and the, the end zone view. So you can see what's going on. You can really see what's going on from the, from the coach's perspective. Uh, I've been, I've been evaluating that. And one of the things that was really interesting is how many times Buffalo has, let's say they have a run play and there's two guys in the offensive line that haven't found anybody to block. Like they've taken their steps. They're looking and they're, and the guy that they thought they were supposed to block has disappeared. And all the while you've got another guy who's coming from somewhere else that's totally unblocked. And then you've got another guy that's compressing space so that now the guy cuts back into the guy that's unblocked and you get a tackle for two yard gain. And that's really what Bateman's trying to do is he's trying to, to keep offensive lines from being able to double an Aaron Crawford. He's going to say, no, no, I'm going to, and, and so he'll have his, his linebacker walk up into the gap or, in, or directly over the guard. Why? So that guard has to block him. That, that, that forces that guard to, to honor that. Even if he disappears, that guard has to be responsible for that guy because he's probably the gap defender. And then all of a sudden that linebacker will disappear and he'll have a gap over or he'll have pass coverage or whatever. And he's doing that in order to preserve the one-on-one matchup between the center and the nose, or he'll have the nose over the guard and he'll walk up the, the, the linebacker. And he, he tells the line, the linebacker to do what's called the baby doll, the baby doll technique in, in Bateman's terminology, which is just 
baby him enough to attract his eyes, make sure that that on the snap he's stepping to you and trying to, you know, trying to find find out where you're going to be and then you get to your responsibility. But that guy's job is to protect the guy next to him. And so much of what Bateman does is a, is predicated on each guy understanding what his role is in ter- in terms of protecting the guy next to him from say getting a double team the guys up front who are two gapping their job is not only to work their gaps but to prevent anybody from being able to get easy uh access to the linebackers behind them so they're protecting the linebackers so the linebackers can wreak havoc everything kind of works together in the way that that he's trying to get this done and so much is about minimizing any opportunity that an offensive lineman has to double team and especially to combo block, which is to double team a first level player and then find his way to the second level. Everything that Bateman's doing is trying to prevent the offense's ability to do that. And he does it a lot with smoke and mirrors. The downside is if you can figure out who's coming, if if you can tip the hand, if you can, if you you can crack it and say, okay, we know what this call is going to be. And now we know who we're going to block. And you can ignore that look a little bit and you're able to get the double team and you're able to, then sometimes that is going to open up some seams that is going to allow for some potential big plays because, well, you know, the disguise does carry some, some potential risk there in that regard. Cause you got a guy vacating, you've got some different things happening, but that's that's the game he's willing to play. He's willing to to try to get those negative plays, knowing that you know on occasion we're going to give up one. On occasion, you know there may be a seam that happens because they guess right or because they you know they they watch film too. So you know that's going to be something that that on occasion there's going to be some plays that are going to be made just because well you know they're going to guess right, and that's where Bateman's philosophy of well I'm just going to train my guys to do their responsibility and make sure they tackle well so that even the big plays are only 10, 15 yards instead of to the house. And that's the, that's the other level. Yeah. And I think one thing I'll add in Tommy is I think this is fascinating how Bateman teaches this to his assistants uh, to, to utilize their personnel better and to help the assistants learn it since this is really their first time through with it, but he will show them a shot, a screenshot you know, of, a, of a play at, at snap. So an offense knows what the defense looks like. They've they've checked out or they've they've you know called whatever play they're going to call. Then he'll let it play for just a minute so that you see exactly what the offense is trying to do. Then he'll freeze the screen and says, "Okay, let's break this down. We know what the offense thinks all of these defensive players is going to do. So in order for us to maximize our efficiency and to limit those double teams." and to limit them picking on certain guys, what would happen if we blitzed this guy? <laughs> or what would happen if we sent this guy over here instead of where they think he's going here? What about this guy over here? They do that all the time. And so all of a sudden, now you're saying, oh, okay, well, maybe you know, this guy, they're not even paying attention to him. What if he just blitzed? How would that disrupt things? Um, and that's, I think that's a very unique way of handling it. Is, is kind of different from your traditional methods, I think. Um, and I, I think that just kind of gives some insight into he's willing to say, okay, this is what we typically do. This is what all defenses have done. Let's blow that up. Let's try to attack in a different way so that the offense, which are so advanced now in being able to you know, do what they want to do and take advantage of a defensive weakness and take what the defense gives them – 
how can we turn that on their head and maybe shock them a little bit and, and get some of those uh, get some of those explosive plays, some of those negative plays that are is really what all this comes down to. And if we if if we get all this right as inside Carolina staff, if we're able to get all this in how the plan is working, the first video that I have breaking down what Bateman does shows exactly how he does that. Like that's what I'm trying to break down in that first video. It's an example of here's pre-snap. And then I would have thought this Buffalo's offensive coordinator has got a box call. He's waiting to see what the defense is in. He makes a call against what he thinks they're in. And then they do this and it's completely different. Two seconds after the snap. I mean, it's not even the same. I mean, if you're, if you're a quarterback or you're an offensive coordinator, you're going, I had, there's no way based on what I saw pre-snap that that's what I would have expected. And it's a two yard game, you know, it's, and and that's what they do. And actually there's another team that's doing a lot of this and I'm actually going to use some of their film, uh, not just Bateman's film, but I'm going to use some of their film uh, in the uh, in some of my offseason stuff because they're doing the same stuff Bateman's doing. And I've got some of their film that's a little cleaner uh, than some of what I have of Bateman, but they're doing the same stuff. And that's Iowa State. Uh, and I, I, was at, I was at a clinic this summer with, uh, with Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State. And, uh, and he was talking about how he and John Heacock, they had taken a 4-2-5 aggressive one-gap defense from Toledo to Iowa State, and they were getting killed in the in, in the uh in the big 12 he said we just didn't have the personnel he was like it was great in toledo where relative to the mac we had good enough talent to be able to to, to run that defense but they were getting hammered at iowa state because they just didn't have the personnel to be able to do it and so they this was about four or five games into the season i think it was his second year at iowa state and he was saying look if we don't get a handle on this we're gonna get fired we, we, we've got to figure out, let's just throw out what we're doing and let's figure out a better way to do this with our personnel. And they adopted a, an approach very similar to what Jay Bateman's doing. I think they actually probably studied what uh, some of what Bateman's doing, but they went to a three, three stack defense with some hybrid defenders using some zero and two, four eyes and other things. And all sorts of disguise and just moving guys around and changing the looks after the snap versus before the snap. And he actually, he said they went from, I don't remember the the, the numbers exactly, but they were something like uh, three wins, something like that through his first year in four games through his first season in four games. And they've been, uh, it was something like uh, 12 and 12 and five or something like that since they made the switch. And he said, this has allowed us to use personnel that, you know, we're not going to get the personnel that Oklahoma is going to get. We're not going to get the personnel that Clemson's going to get. We're not going to get the personnel that, that heck that, uh, you know, half the teams in the, in the big 12 are going to get, but we can get some of these tweener athletes and we've got, we had some of them on our roster and we can create enough havoc and move guys around to cause enough problems that, it created turnovers. It forced all sorts of issues up front for teams in the, in the run game. And they started being able to do things defensively that he said that, that ultimately I, he thinks it saved their jobs. And, you know, this is a re- that's another really, really good coach. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country talking about going to exactly that kind of defense in a situation where personnel wise, they're, they're not all that different from what Carolina has. Although I think Carolina has more access to better talent moving forward. So, so many questions come out of that that I want to ask you guys about. But Greg, let me talk uh, or ask you about the 
negative play point. And Buck Sanders brought it up in his column. You referenced it um, earlier in the podcast from yesterday. And I mean, I thought Bateman's point that if a team doesn't have a negative play the entire drive, they're probably going to score or they score <laughs> half the time. Um, and that's what Bateman's trying to accomplish. I think the question was some to the effect, if it's a uh, second and five, we're not running a defense to make it third and two. We're running a defense to make it third and seven. Greg, speak to that point of this defense. And Jason, the point about Iowa State was another one I was going to ask, and I'll go ahead and make a compound question, Greg, is how does it work in P5 football? And I think that's a valid question um, that the Iowa State reference cleans up a little bit for me. But, Greg, you can speak to all that. Yeah, I think it kind of gets back to the fact of you. one thing that, that Fedora used to say, and I think it used to irk fans because it's kind of ingrained and in just kind of the, the football psyche of, of how things have been done for so long. But what did he want to do? You know, what was his goal? It wasn't to score 90 points a game. It wasn't to hold teams to 10 points per game. It was to score more points than the other team. <laughs> Very general, but that is that is the goal of this game is is to have more points than the other team because that means that you win. Um, and it seems very simplistic, but at the end of the day, that's the truth. I mean, in anything that we do uh, where there's competition, you're playing to win. You play to win the game, right? Um, and so, I think when you kind of look at some of the stats that, that Buck referenced from from the clinic, and Jason may have seen these since Bateman talked to the, the one he went to. Uh, but I'll, I'll really zolk. I think they're very interesting. Drives, offensive drives that uh, have a sack, include a sack. Only 16% of those drives result in points. Drives with an offensive penalty, right? North Carolina fans know about this in recent years. <laughs> Only 25% result in points. Drives with a tackle for loss, 26% result in points. And as Tommy said, if there are no negative plays on an offensive drive, Teams are scoring half the time, more than half the time. And so if you just look at it from that perspective, you say, look, I understand that this team may have more talent. They may have a stud quarterback. They may have an unbelievable you know, Todd Gurley type running back. But if we can get one sack on this drive, the likelihood of them scoring plummets. <laughs> it doesn't matter if they go 60 yards. If once they reach the 30-yard line, we get a sack, well, now they may have to settle for a field goal. Or maybe we knock them out of field goal range. And if we, we create enough havoc that we can force an offensive penalty, we force a holding or something, right? that's going to limit their likelihood of scoring. The same with that tackle for loss. And so you, when you combine that approach with kind of this, this disguise approach that Bateman brings to the table, that's where you get his aggressive mentality from. And that's why he wants to – you blitz a lot, although, as I said earlier, he didn't really consider it blitzing. It's just bringing people from different directions. But when you piece all that together, you begin to say, okay, so if we take advantage of negative plays and put these offenses in positions where they don't want to be, I mean, last year, I know it was a unique situation with UNC's quarterback play. But if you have Nathan Elliott's in a third and nine, you know, the odds were not in UNC's favor of picking up a first down. They were probably punting on the next play. Um, and so that's that's where Jay Bateman wants to be because regardless of the talent, you know, if you put Alabama in third and 11, 
against a lesser program, a lesser defense, they're still going to have a hard time converting that. You know, compared to third and three, where it's going to be pretty easy. And so that's what he wants to do. He wants to create enough havoc where he gets some of these negative plays. And now he's looking at third and nine. Well, now we're now we're playing. Now we can attack. And now the offense, instead of being the 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 team that's really being the aggressor, now they've got to be careful. Um, and so that that's kind of the the process that he's thinking about. And it's it's interesting when you just think about all these different components, how they all kind of get back to this idea of we want to we want to put the offense in stressful situations. We want to make them uncomfortable. We want to create some negative plays. And if that happens, we can get off the field. So he, when he talks, he's like, I'm not worried about the points. I'm not worried about yards. I'm worried about getting off the field. Uh, and he truly believes that you do that by creating havoc out of this disguise mechanism that he has built in. Uh, and you do that by creating these negative plays. And if so, you think about where he came from, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because yep. Army – what is their offense all about? Ball control. They're gonna they're gonna get three to four five yards, and they're just not. I mean, everything is about preventing is about keeping from those negative plays. And if they get three yards three times, well, they're going for it on fourth and one, and they're gonna keep that ball the entire freaking half. And so his defense is designed to do exactly the opposite of that. So when you say that, it brings up. The question I've been wanting to ask is everybody sees his numbers, and I'm playing devil's advocate. I understand that. Some call it a different word that begins with an A and ends with an E. But <laughs> if, if – Ace? Yeah, that's it. Number one, ace. Uh, <laughs> if All Bateman's right. numbers – if Bateman's numbers or his defensive numbers are so good, how much of that has to do with the fact that Army holds the ball for 40 minutes a game, or at least it seems like it? I mean, you can't score or you can't move the ball. You can't have offense if you don't have the ball. And how would that? How does that mesh with Carolina? I mean, are those numbers inflated because of Army's offense? Or, or, or explain that, Jason. So I, this is this is a difficult one. Partly because I don't think the numbers are inflated. I mean, the, the, the efficiency numbers are what they are. And when you look at the actual efficiency numbers, once you adjust for pace of play and all of that, that, that really lets you know sort of where things, where things stand. And, you know, they, they were good on defense when, when you do that. Not elite on defense, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect Army to be elite on defense, right? So, you know, last year in defensive S&P Plus, which is Bill Connolly's uh, rankings metric, they were 70th defensively. That's good for a service academy. Now, if North Carolina's 70th in S&P Plus, well, you know, ultimately that's that's probably going to get you fired long-term as a defensive coordinator at North Carolina because you expect a little better than that. At Army, that's pretty decent, especially when teams don't have the ball very much and, you know, you can – your, your raw numbers end up looking okay. So if you're looking at raw numbers, yeah, those are inflated. The place where concern comes in for me is at Army, he, he was facing about 45, between 45 and 50 plays a game. You're just not seeing very much in terms of, of, defense, uh, of the defense seeing a whole lot of plays from the offense. And 
a lot of a lot of people will talk about you know oh well then that means the defense is fresh well yeah that means the defense is fresh that's a that's a part of it and Bateman has talked about that where at Army he could play his starters 85 90% of the time because they were they were they were only playing 45 plays if you're playing 80 plays on defense well you know in order to to do that you're going to need to start getting backups guy backups in there you're going to have to start rotating some guys just to stay a little fresher that's a factor to me the bigger factor given the type of defense that he plays is if you want to think about this you know we just we're we're in the middle of the uh, of the college world series you know the super regionals just ended and didn't end as well as i think a lot of north carolina fans would like but one of the things that uh that you can do is is analogize this to baseball First time a pitcher runs through the lineup, a lot of times you're going to see guys kind of feeling out that pitcher stuff. Where you're going to see pitchers starting to get hit is in that second, third, and fourth times through the lineup. And it's not just because the pitcher's fatiguing. It's because these guys have seen his stuff. They've seen, okay, I know what that slider looks like coming off. I know what it, I know when he likes to, they already know kind of when he, when he likes to throw stuff. You know, that's, that's in the scouting report but I know what it looks like when it's coming off his hand. I, I know where it's located. I, I know. So you start to see it better that second time through the order and that third time through the order even more. Well, Jay Bateman had a lot of, a lot of games last year at, at army where teams really only got through the order, you know, twice, three times, they weren't going through the order six, seven, eight times. And so when he's, using a particular disguised look or he's using a particular call that shows that shows quarters say and then suddenly rotates to a fire zone well okay the first time you see that you may throw into coverage the second time you see that you may get you know you may maybe a tackle for a loss it may it may sucker you the third time you see that look and you start to notice that this guy's creeping a little bit maybe you hit it right in the teeth and maybe maybe that's a big play because you you start to recognize and you start to feel out what's coming in terms of that the the disguise and all that and not only does that matter over the course of a game it matters over the course of a season because if you're facing if if you're only facing 45 plays a game then you're show you only have to show 45 plays worth of stuff so every two games you're putting as much on film as most teams are in one game or just a little bit, a little bit more. And so the teams that are getting film on you and what you're doing that year are seeing less and they have less to study. If you're having to, if you're having to put 80 plays on film, then by the time you get to the second half of the season, more teams have seen more of what you do. And they, they're, they're going to be more familiar with what, with what you have to, with what you're bringing to the table, which means you'd better have some additional stuff that you can throw out there. That means you'd better, you can't just, and especially for Army, they were they were ahead a lot of times late in games last year, which means that they could go vanilla at different points later in games. So I do think that that's going to have some impact on the effectiveness of what Bateman brings to the table at Carolina, especially this year. Uh, as better personnel gets in place and you know the, the system has been in place longer, they can start to add more material. You can start to add you know, a third or fourth pitch to, to what you, what you throw well to be able to, to bring some additional stuff to the table to make it tough, even the second, third, fourth time through the order. But I think especially first this first year, 
that does put some limitations on my expectations of exactly how good the the defense might be. I think it's going to be better, but I do think that there's that that there needs to be some degree of of realism and some some amount of caution that he's not going to have this personnel this year in the first year under this new defense playing like Clemson's defense from last year. It's just not going to look like that. They're still going to get beat. They're still going to have guys that, you know, don't necessarily do their job and block destruction and tackling and all of that. And, you know, they're, they're, they're going to give up some points. Uh, so, you know, that's not necessarily what everybody's going to want to hear right now, but that doesn't mean that the guy's not a really, really good coordinator and that the defense can't be significantly improved and improved enough to win some, to, to, to be a factor in winning some games and winning, you know, in a bowl type season or, or better. So I, I think I, hopefully that answers your question. And by the way, I did look up um, Matt Campbell's uh, start at Iowa state. They started three and nine and then they gave up uh, 44 points in their second game of the year. That was the one that he was talking about that they gave up 44 points to rival Iowa at home. And it was after that, uh, after that loss to Iowa that they retooled their defense uh, and moved to something completely different in week three of that year. Two weeks later, they gave up 17 to Texas. Three weeks later, well, actually, yeah, I guess it was, yeah, three weeks later, they beat Oklahoma on the road after moving to that, to that newer defensive look. And that does tell you that this can work at the Power 5 level. And, and Iowa State runs tempo, so they, they do have that exact issue in terms of they're going to, teams are going to see what they do. It's just a matter of you better have some more stuff to throw out there that they're not going to necessarily identify the second time or third time they see it. Tommy, I'm, I'm going to repackage what Jason just said in a less intelligent way. So it'll sound different. <laughs> um, but if you, you army last year played two power five teams in, in Duke and Oklahoma, uh, and they allowed eight yards per play in those games. Uh, everybody knows you know, Oklahoma averaged about nine yards per play, but Duke was, I think, 7.3 yards per play. Um, FBS winning teams averaged 6.3 yards per play against Army. And so, you know, as, as Jason says, that's not bad for a, a program like Army who doesn't have, doesn't has the, have the, the resources to, to you know, field a, a much more talented team. Um, but I think there's a couple of things here that are relevant and important to point out. This North Carolina team doesn't have a ton of talent on defense either. Um, I think, you know, Mac Brown has kind of uh, been open about that uh, kind of, you know, behind the scenes to, to some people about, you know, they have a long way to go on that side of the ball and, and fleshing out uh, talent and depth. And I think that's going to be a key component uh, in the years to come. I think there's also the factor that, you know, Jay Bateman is a relatively young guy. This is his first power five defensive coordinator position. And so while you would hope that he would be able to make a seamless transition and be this hot rock star out of the gates, that is asking a lot. And so when you combine the fact that he is installing a brand new system, this is his first year at the power five level. He doesn't have the the talent necessarily uh, to overcome some miscues. You know, I think, expecting a home run um, is, is asking way too much. But as Jason said, you know, when Mac Brown made this hire, when Mac Brown made the Phil Longo hire, you know, Longo's got a little bit more experience with, with two years that he'll miss. 
but he liked what they were doing. He liked the schematic setup and the way they were approaching the game. And I, I, I think that's smart. You know, Mac knows he's safe here for a number, number of years. And if he wants to roll the dice and, and trust some young guys uh, to implement their systems and really give it a go and say, you know what, this is, these are the up-and-comers. These are the young minds who are the next wave of, of football coaches. You know, if we can get a guy like that, you know, th- let's roll the dice. Let's, let's see how it plays out. And so I think the defense that Bateman will field this year compared to the one he fields in three years will be completely different. It'll be significantly better um, as long as he's allowed some time to grow not only the players in terms of their understanding, but himself too. Saying, okay, this may have worked at Army against Hawaii, uh, it's not going to work against Clemson. It's not going to work against uh, Virginia Tech or what David Cutcliffe wants to do at Duke. And so he'll be able to learn what works, what doesn't. And so he'll grow with the players, with the scheme. And so I, I suppose, you know, I expect that the scheme to change in the years to come, uh, probably dramatically in some areas. But I, but I do think in a couple years, it'll be much more refined, much more polished and you'll be able to say, okay, this is why Mike Brown hired this guy. Uh, this defense is legit. And I think you have to kind of temper expectations for what you're going to see this this fall. Solid. And it all comes back to recruiting that we talked about uh, to start the podcast. It's uh, It's been interesting to sit back and listen to you guys talk about it. I knew it would be a fun one for me to listen to. Uh, I thought, or I thought it would be fun for our listeners. I'm sure it has been. Jason, you've got all the videos coming out. You say, what, 10, 15 videos over the course uh, leading up to the season? Is that fair? It might. Well, of the Bateman stuff, it'll be at least 15. Uh, we've already got six slated to release over the next uh, week or two, and then uh, there will be at least uh, another uh, six to 10, and then uh, and, and probably a little bit more. And then uh, we'll, we'll have another 10 or so uh, videos from the uh, – from the offensive side as well. But I would say probably between 25 and 30 total videos we're looking at getting out before the season starts. Good stuff, Greg. I know Operation Football's in July. Tell us what you'll be doing leading through there. I know you had some basketball duties today, but as far as football leading up to Labor Day weekend, what's, what you got going on? Well, yeah, basically these podcasts that we've done on, on Longo and Bateman, um, we're going to be fleshing these out not only in, in video form like Jason's talked about, uh, but also in, in a couple of features on each of the guys and kind of how they came about uh, their their schemes and their thoughts behind it and those types of things. So those will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, of course, we've got NBA draft this week, so a lot of content coming from there. But, yeah, I mean, the ACC kickoff is, is July 16th. So everybody's going to take a break for July 4th, uh, have a good weekend, celebrate uh, the birth of our country. And then once you get back, you're, you're talking about a week leading up to ACC kickoff. And then from there, it's it's full go and uh, we'll breathe again next April, I guess. Yep. Sounds like it. Jason, Greg, johnnytshirt.com for sponsoring us. It's always been fun, guys. Appreciate y'all taking the time to join me. Blast. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.